Hey, you're back. Welcome to the second installment of Japan and its trickster figures. I'm your host, Domenico, along with Jordan over here. Hi. In this podcast, you'll be hearing about Suzano himself, the trickster deity of Japan mythology. How does life go? What happened to him? Who is he really? All of that juicy stuff. All right, let's start. In the beginning, there was the Koto Amatsuki, the first gods of Japanese culture. If you're familiar with Greek mythology, they were basically your titan gods. After these titan gods, seven generations of god were formed, more properly known as Kami. Of the seventh generation was Izanagi and his sister Izanami. Izanagi and Izanami were responsible for creating the Japanese archipelago. Bear in mind that at the time, people were telling stories about the deities, and knowledge of the other countries and continents wasn't common. So, in order to create Japan, Izanagi and Izanami went on the Amino Ukihashi, the bridge between heaven and earth. They began to turn the sea, turning salty drops of water into solid land. After land was formed, they descended onto earth, making their home on earth. They fell in love, married, and had their children. Izanami died, birthing her last child, the incarnation of fire, and Izanagi went down to the underworld. Izanagi wanted to see Izanami again, but couldn't under the darkness of the underworld. By lighting his comb and using it as a torch, he could see the real, dead Izanami riddled with holes and filled with maggots. Out of fear, Izanagi ran, and behind him was Izanami chasing after him. After Izanagi had gained too much distance, Izanami said, If you run away from me, I will kill a thousand people every day. To which Izanagi responded, Then I will birth 1,500 every day. Thus, the makings of death and life. Izanagi had escaped the underworld, and in order to purify himself, he washed himself in a river. In the river, he had birthed three children. Amaterasu, the god of heaven, Tsukiyomi, the moon god, and finally, Suzano, the god of the storms and of the sea. That took a while, didn't it? It did shorten it a lot. We could have actually been here for some 20 minutes. Yeah, okay, I get it. Well, now we're here, talking about the one and only. Enough about the boring stuff. What? Boring? I found it quite interesting, you know? I'm sure the listeners were interested too, right guys? Okay, okay. So, Susano, being the mischievous trickster god that he is, began making trouble with basically everyone. It starts with him angering Izanagi due to the many complaints of other gods about him. He was to leave heaven as a result, but before that, he would say his goodbyes to Amaterasu, his sister. When Amaterasu sees Susano, she prepares for battle, because knowing Susano, he would normally cause trouble. For what reason have you come? To say farewell. She isn't convinced. Amaterasu challenges Susano on his good intentions, and Susano accepts to prove his sincerity. Each task was to take an object of the others and create noble children. Susano was able to make noble men, and Amaterasu was, would respond in kindness. So in taking Amaterasu's necklace, he had made the five male ancestors of Japan. And Amaterasu, taking Susano's sword, made the three female ancestors of Japan. In a fit of rage, Susano terrorized Amaterasu's land, from her crops to her loom to her servants. Because of his acts, he was permanently banished from heaven, and he went down to Izumo province. When Susano came down to Izumo, he landed at Torikami, 
he began wandering and overheard a woman's voice crying. He went to investigate, and he saw three figures, an old man, a woman, and an astoundingly attractive daughter. All were sobbing uncontrollably, terrified by a certain something. Susanna asked them, Why do you cry? They said, A giant eight-headed serpent named Oroshi has terrorized us. <gasps> Please be patient as we take a short break from this story. Orochi came to plunder and harm the region every year, and for every visit he made, he ate one of the couple's daughters. The parents were now at their last, Kusha Narahime. Being utterly dumbfounded at how beautiful this daughter was, Susano struck a deal. Say, if I slay this vile eight-headed serpent, would I get something in return? Yes, anything. I ask only this. May your daughter be in my arms? They agreed wholeheartedly. After all, they had nothing to lose. Susana thought up a plan and related to the parents. Build a fence around your house, make eight hatches, and place eight tables for every entrance. Then place eight cups of sake on each table, and each sake being brewed eight times over. This will attract the serpent, and since it is such a strong brew, he will become dazed. It will be quick and easy. Sake being a type of alcoholic beverage in Japan. The serpent had arrived and became entranced by the smell of the sake. They wanted to drink, but was blocked by the fence. One had suggested to smash the sake. No, that wouldn't do. It would knock the sake over as well. Then shall we burn it, another said? No, that would evaporate the sake. Then... All eight heads begin searching for an opening to get to the sake. Each finds a hatch, each made suspiciously wide enough only for one head to get through. But they didn't care. The wisest head suggested that he would taste test first for poison, but nothing. Instantly, they drank and immediately fell in a daze. Susanna, coming out from his hiding place, approached each head. They were alerted, but basically immobilized due to drunkenness. Swiftly and without any effort, he lopped all the heads off one by one. He then cut the body into pieces, ensuring his victory. Getting to the end of the tail, he found his sword could not slice through. Investigating, he found a masterful sword. He thought that, hey, this is a really good sword. Maybe I could give it to my sister so she can forgive me. He went back to heaven and presented it to his sister Amaterasu. It was accepted. Later on, Amaterasu gives the sword to her grandson, Ninigi, the first ancestor of the Japanese imperial family, later being the father of the first emperor, Jimu. Since then, it's been preserved in the temple of Atsuta near Nagoya and has become part of the imperial regalia. Funnily enough, because Susanna conned his way to marrying that old couple's daughter, he's now seen as the god that symbolizes love and marriage. Who would have thought? Yeah, I know, right? You'd think that there'd be an other gods that would be a better vision of love, but I guess that's just how it goes. Anyways, what a fun story. Susanna had a lot of things going about him. I think he's a really central role in many folk tales of Japan. I guess that would be to teach the youngsters morals? Yeah, but you wouldn't really consider Susanna a good example of behavior, right? Yeah, but he's got the atonement thing going for him. Oh, yeah. <sighs> well, alright. That wraps up her story. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to listen to our other podcasts about Japanese culture and stay tuned for next week as we dive into the finale of our Japanese podcasts, analyzing this story and learning the hitting meanings and other such things. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.